This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the ultimate Dragon Ball experience on your mobile device. Dragon Ball Legends features action-packed anime action RPG gameplay with Goku, Vegeta, Trunks, and all your favorite Dragon Ball characters. Summon your favorite characters from popular Dragon Ball anime series, such as Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT to Dragon Ball Super. Fight in real time against friendly or rival Dragon Ball players from across the globe in live PvP battles. Enter ratings matches with your favorite Dragon Ball characters and earn rating points and rewards. Unite with friends to defeat powerful foes in co-op. Dragon Ball Legends features the best anime fighting scenes on your mobile device. And now, Legends Festival is on, so you can get up to 300 free summon tickets. Are you ready? Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Available for free on both iOS and Android devices. What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Jesse Boykins III over Zoom video. Jesse was born in Chicago um, and then moved when he was just a few months old uh, to Jamaica. Lived there until about eight and then would go between Miami and Chicago. But we hear about how Jesse got into music while he lived in Jamaica, all his cousins were in different music classes, piano and guitar. And, and Jesse started to take voice lessons. He was in a jazz choir for a number of years. From that jazz choir, he was selected to go to the new school in New York. So he went to college at the new school. He talks about writing poetry. He would actually write love letters for his friends to give to other girls in middle school and high school. He has some amazing stories about how he asked somebody to prom. And through that, that's how he wrote and recorded his very first song. Jesse talks about putting out his first EPs. He tells us the highlights, the big milestones from uh, his previous albums, what it was like to get signed to Def Jam, and all about the new album he has coming out. He's back independent, and uh, he talks a lot about this new album and the concept behind the new album as well. And he talks about the most recent single he's released called Honestly, I'm a Threat. You can watch the interview with Jesse on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Jesse Boykins III. Today, hip-hop dominates pop culture, but it wasn't always like that. And to tell the story of how that changed, I want to take you back to a very special year in rap. 88, it was too much good music. The world was on fire. fire yeah. 
I'm Will Smith. This is Class of 88, my new podcast about the moments, albums, and artists that inspired a sonic revolution and secured 1988 as one of hip-hop's most important years. We'll talk to the people who were there. And most of all, we'll bring you some amazing stories. You know what my biggest memory from that tour is? It was your birthday. Yes, and you brought me to Sade, life-size cardboard cutout. <laughs> this is Class of 88, the story of a year that changed hip-hop. Listen to Class of 88 wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge the entire series right now on the Amazon Music app or Audible. I'm Adam, and this is about you and your journey in music. And we could talk about the the new song you have out, and and what else you have uh, coming up. For sure, whatever, however you want to get into it, you let me know. Cool, cool. Uh, I did read. Are you originally from Chicago? Is that what I saw? Are you born and raised there? So no, I was born in Chicago. I was I, I was raised partially in Jamaica. Oh wow! Uh, and also in uh, Miami, Florida. Um, and I lived in Miami until I was about seventeen, and then I moved to New York City to go to school. And I lived in New York for about 15 years. That's probably where I spent the most time in my life. Okay. And I moved to LA. About when did years. you, just to back up a bit here, how long were you in Chicago before you moved, then split between Jamaica and well, Miami? I was, I was only in Chicago. I mean, I was born there and I, you know, I don't have a lot of memories like when I was a baby. So I moved there when I was, I moved to um, Jamaica when I was, I don't know, like, Two months, like four, six oh, months. Oh wow! Like, okay, yeah. So I, I really don't. Infant. I really don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't know. And then when I moved back to the states, I spent a lot of. I went back and forth. I spent summers in Chicago because my father lived in Chicago, so I would go and I would spend time with him there. Okay, and then the rest of the time you were either in Jamaica or Miami. Yeah. Wow. What was it like? I mean, how much of the time were you in Jamaica? I mean, that must have been pretty different. I mean, culture shock going from Chicago back there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I experienced most of my childhood in Jamaica. So, you know, when I was there, I was, I was, it was normal. I went to prep school. You know, I was a pretty smart kid. I played sports. I played soccer. You know, I was outside a lot. You know, I remember climbing a lot of trees and shit, you know, being <laughs> a, you know, just like a, a regular fun childhood, you know, being outside. And my family was really disciplined. My aunts and my uncles raised me for the most part, you know, until I was about eight years old. So. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of cousins, so we played a lot and, you know, music was kind of like one of the main things that was happening. You know, they would take lessons. I would go with them, you know, to guitar lessons, piano lessons, singing lessons. Um, and I kind of was just like a fly on the wall for a long time. And then I moved to Miami with my mom when I was about like eight and then, uh, took up sports. I played football, I played basketball, I ran track for like 10 years, 12 years. Wow. Yeah, my mom was an Olympian. She was a, she ran for Jamaica. So No way. That's incredible. Yeah, so we're like deep in sports, you know, athletics and, you know, just that kind of uh lifestyle. And so I did that and then I did music. So I did both. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're saying that you were kind of a fly on the wall. You'd go to your cousin's musical instrument, you know, practices or whatever. Uh did you end up taking lessons when you either there or when you got back to, or when you moved to Miami? When I was in Miami, I was in the chorus, you know, and I I, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet this woman named Miss Hunt. She ended up being my mentor from middle school all into high school. She taught me, you know, through those years and and brought my attention to a lot of different styles of music um, outside of R&B and gospel, which is what I was listening to in reggae. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I started listening to a lot of jazz music and blues and um, classical, you know, I started singing classical music. And yeah, that's kind of was my first 
uh, entry into it was through her, you know, like as far as like the focus and the level of the dedication that it took to really want to be in it for the rest of my life. So I, I kind of decided that really early on in my life. So, you know, I was always auditioning, singing talent shows, you know, talking to labels when I was a kid. I used to oh, like, really? That's cool. Mm. Yeah. From what I was reading, I think you got like recruited, right? For the new school or somebody come and picked you out and said, hey, you know, you should go to this. This, I wanted to go there for video editing when I was in high school and college. So I thought that was okay. rad that you went there. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, selected. I was in the Grammy Jazz Ensemble. My senior, I got accepted to be in this, this uh, Grammy Jazz Choir. It was like 13 of us from the nation got selected. And I was one of the 13. Oh, my we, gosh. And then we ended up getting recruited by like all these different schools. But I didn't really start singing jazz until then. So I didn't even know anything about anybody so when i went uh to la and when, when we were here when i was like i think it was like 2002 mm-hmm. and I was 16 and i remember just everybody talking about charles mingus and you know charlie parker and you know john coltrane and all these people i never heard i hadn't heard of any of them and so i kind of felt a, like a little bit of imposter syndrome you know like mm-hmm. early on because i didn't know anything about that but then i just crammed everything i could you know i learned about everybody and i i I listened to everything in Miles Davis and anything I could get my hands on, Ornette Coleman, all kind of abstract shit, like whatever I could, Sun Ra. And then when I when it's time for me to get recruited, I wanted to go to UM, but I couldn't afford it. So um, and they wouldn't give me a scholarship. So I ended up getting recruited from New School and uh, Berkeley College of Music. And I, I didn't want to go to Boston because it was far further than New York was. And it was really cold. So I just <laughs> colder than New York. Right. So I just ended up in New York. Oh, so you wanted to go to University of Miami. Originally, yeah, because that's where yeah. I missed, my 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 teacher, my mentor, she went there. Oh, yeah, so I was I gonna say, that's more of like a sport. I would think more for sports, right? You're not there. The school of music at Miami is amazing. It's amazing. Okay, school. I didn't. I haven't heard anyone, or maybe I just no, didn't put it all together. That's awesome. Um, I'm just curious, yeah, no. real quick, to go back yeah. to your mom being a, a Olympian. Which you said you, she was a runner. Yeah, she ran 100 meters, uh, 100 meter hurdles and the relay and long jump. Damn. So when it came to like, could you beat her times or not, not even close? Well, yeah, it sounds like you were no, like, no, no, no. When I was younger, for sure. Yeah, no, no, I sure. mean, just, it's, it just, I'm just trying to, like, that's cool yeah, as hell uh, that she's that fast. Uh, yeah, no, she's really fast. She, she, um, yeah, she, I mean, I learned a lot from my mom because she was awesome. You know, she was my coach and my mom, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I learned a, a lot of a very interesting parenting style. If she's a coach, you know, if she's my coach, you know, she's a lot harder than me on me than everybody else. But, you know, still understood like everything I was going through because she was home with me. So mm-hmm. uh, as far as like moving into a new country, you know, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah not you know like wearing regular clothes to school and being like i thought i, I was only supposed to wear uniforms i don't know how to put on regular outfits you know like, oh, like all those okay. things happen. even like even like spelling and shit like you know in uh in jamaica you know it's british it's british influence so uh-huh. you spell color c-o-l-o-u-r and then and so i'm taking all these spelling tests and i know i'm really smart but i'm getting everything wrong i'm really confused you know and i'm like what's going on they're like oh there's no you in color i'm like Yes, there like, is. Yeah, you're like, uh, what are you talking, talking about? about? 
Something like theater is T-H-E-A-T-R-E. R-E, yeah. And then there's a couple other I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But yeah, it is interesting how it's the same language. You could understand it the same way, but just certain words are spelled a little bit differently. It was definitely uh, a lot, you know, um, like having to relearn certain things and then getting picked on for my accent. Come and chat to me. Come my yard boy. I'm talk patois still. So I'm talk like everybody look for me like, what? Are you going to talk like that? And so it's like getting picked on, like having to like learn to adapt. And, you know, I lived in the hood. So I had to like learn how to talk a certain way. So no one would think I was a pushover. All these life lessons and adaption that happened, you know? Yeah. When it came to songwriting, was that something that you started to learn later? Like when you attended at the new school or? was that but you were doing that beforehand like and, you start writing songs i started writing songs when i was like 12. oh wow like, yeah because i would write stories so i would like draw these pictures and like tell a story about you know whatever character i would write you know so and have like these a bunch of these little books with like all these random stories about all these heroes i would draw and you know my track team we had like a relay race team and i gave everybody a nickname and i drew us all with muscles and you know <laughs> that's awesome so I, yeah i used my imagination early you know as far as like telling stories and are concerned and then then that turned into poetry and letters so i wrote a lot of poetry and in high school some of the homies used to ask me to basically write letters to girls they like for them so oh wow yeah, <laughs> like so but like lunch you know like they lunch or like some money or whatever the case may be um so that kind of made me start realizing like oh this is like a skill like i'm like i'm i'm good at this you know and then uh then i started making mix cds like love, like love mix CDs with the letters, you know, and like pay me extra because I got the mix CD for you and da da da. So it was like more from a hustler standpoint and me wanting to like figure out like how I feel. It's so funny you, you asking me because even recently I was going through all my stuff, like old letters I wrote when I was like 16 or like poems I wrote when I was like 16. And it's like, it's like a very emotional person, you know, like always been very like, what is life? How do I feel today? Why yeah. does he not like me? You know, so that kind of that kind of transitioned into me writing my own songs and stuff yeah, early on. You had quite the business model back then. I mean, you, oh, like writing the, <laughs> you're writing awesome. the oh, yeah. and that's, then you're like, let me throw in the let me throw in the mixtape. Oh no, nah, I'm so <laughs> That's a tip of the iceberg. I sold candy in middle school. I used to fish, like jump the fence and fish in these like man-made lakes and catch fish and go back to my apartment complex and sell it to all the Cuban ladies in my neighborhood who I knew was cooking. <laughs> I used to go around the neighborhood with my friend and knock on everybody's door, door and ask them if they needed to wash their cars for $5. Like, yeah, nah. I remember y'all had man hustles. I used to jump in the water, get all the golf balls on golf courses that people would hit in the water, take them back home, clean them, go back over the fence and sell them back to the golfers three three golf balls for a dollar. So I, yeah, that's I, brilliant. I was gonna, you, should, you still have a business model there with the poetry and set, like a mixtape thing. I mean, that's an album. That, that is. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> like your album, right? But on the side, you're like, let me write you a love note. <laughs> uh, that's okay. So then you go. So you're doing that, but it was never. It wasn't a full, it would, they weren't put into songs yet. It was just kind of poetry or when did they become, when were you like, oh, I should make like put melodies to this and, and, sophomore, and write songs. Sophomore high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Early. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I was in a boy group called perfect gentlemen. I was like the youngest. Everybody was a senior. It was like four, four of us. And there's three seniors and me. And yeah, we, we were singing all these boys to men songs and all these old, you know, Tyrese songs and all this stuff. So I was like, man, let's, we should write our own songs, you know? So I, I took a go at it. You know, I started writing songs early. 
And then mm-hmm. the first song I actually wrote for myself was this song. I remember my senior year, uh, this girl that I was off and on with um, my senior year because she couldn't pick between me and this other dude that she liked. And so we was like in this like love triangle and uh, really interesting experience at 15 years old, 16 years old. And uh, she asked me to go to the prom and I told her no. And then because I was, I was mad and then. Like a week later, I was like, oh, damn, like, I kind of want to go to the prom with her. So I asked her again and I was like, well, I can't just like just ask her again because I seen like I don't know what I want. So I wrote this song called I'm Sorry. And, uh, and I, re- I recorded it on my guitar and into my karaoke machine. And I get and I gave it to her with the letter, with a note saying, like, Yo, would you go to the prom with me? She she didn't. She didn't go. Oh, man. I was going to say, did you get did you go with her? <laughs> damn. No. No, she didn't still go. Pissed but, that you turned her down. Yeah, no, she was very mad, but it's fine. We, you know, we we figured it out. But she just didn't want to go with me, so she ended up going with her homegirls. But I did uh, end up rec- like really professionally recording that song, like like that summer. Like it was my first time in the studio. And it was like the first song I recorded for real. You know, this guy took me to the studio. Um, one of my mentors at the time, he was also my barber, but he was like a father figure to me. And uh, yeah, I played I played guitar, and I you know I sang I sang this song called "I'm Sorry." He was like, "I'm sorry." For not being there, I'm sorry for acting like I didn't care. <laughs> I love that. Just like that, I still remember that song. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so when you start going to school, were you going to new school at like? Were you? Did you join there, jazz? Uh, yeah, I went to. I went for choir. jazz. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 um, yeah, I ended up. Cause at first I was gonna take a semester off because I didn't, you know, I was disappointed I didn't get accepted to UM. Like I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. Um, I got accepted, but I just couldn't go because of financial um, reasons. And then new school hit me up. You know, they had already been hit me up, and then I talked to this woman, and she was like, "Yo, you know, if I could put you in and get you a scholarship and get you straight and all that." So I was like, "Cool." So I ended up just like I remember packing a bag like three days before orientation, and just like going out there with like one bag. And I, I ain't have nowhere to stay yet. Yeah, but I had made some friends who ended up all going to the new school from Grammy Jazz Ensemble. So uh, one of them is this artist named Fur that I work with. Um, his, you know, he was there. And so I ended up just crashing at his dorm for the first semester until they found me somewhere to stay. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And then uh, I ended up having Bilal, the singer, singer songwriter named Bilal um, as mm-hmm. my trainer um, for most of the time I was there. Yeah. Oh wow! So he was your like another mentor for you at at college. Most definitely, yeah. I learned I learned a, an immense amount of things from him. You know, at the time he had just put his record out, and he was he actually went to my school and dropped out to get a record deal and ended up getting a record deal and stuff. So, um, yeah, he I learned an immense amount of things from him. You know, uh, even on a spiritual level, he he would say these things while we were, we were doing vocal warmups and stuff that still stay with me. You know, and, and kind of had me like be more interested in the spiritual realm than I was before, you know, coming from a Christian Baptist background. Mm-hmm. Um, say like, you know, you breathe in the room, you become the room. Um, no, he said you, you breathe in to become the room. You exhale, you become God. Wow. I like that. Yeah. And so basically he was just always being like, stay present. Yeah. 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 Um, did you finish school before you put out uh, that your first EP, the dopamine one? Nah, no, 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 no. I was, yeah, I was out. Yeah, I was out. I graduated in 2006. That came out, what, 2008? Eight, I believe, yeah. That came out in 2008. So that, I was, that year after I graduated, 
was interesting because I was I almost went back for music therapy. I almost went back to for my master's in music therapy. And I was trying to decide if I wanted to or not. And I was like, I don't really want to have to go through having to pay like yeah. five more <laughs> even more money, right? I mean, the yeah. master's degree, they even tag on more money. It's like, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> I ended up having just a bunch of odd jobs, you know. Um, I worked as a, I worked in this hostel as a clerk. Uh, I, I taught elementary school that year, kindergarten to fourth grade. Then I taught after school program. And then, uh, then I just was doing a bunch of gigs. I was like, I'm just, we would just play anywhere. I play in front of a boutique. I play at a park. I play at somebody's birthday party. I play at a restaurant, like anywhere we could set up. We would, we just played a bunch of gigs. Oh, seven. Yeah. And I toured my first like real quote unquote tour was like California. This, this guy I knew booked me to play from like, you know, Sacramento to the Bay, Oakland, Berkeley, San Fran. Then we played LA and it was like my first kind of, Experience. Oh yeah, like a like a yeah, like a California tour. Yeah, and you could do a lot of cities in California all the way down, right? Yeah, so we did that. I was like 21, I think, and then uh, at the time I started producing my own stuff, and I was, you know, I was really uh, intrigued by like developing people. So I would like record other people, you know, when I was in school, we had a studio at my school, and I would like tell her like pull up, and I was you know you sing this and you sing that, and I would write these songs and produce these records with people. So um, that kind of made me feel. Uh, like good, even if I wasn't making music for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I got dumped on a uh, Christmas. Oh I man. Dumped on Christmas, 2007. And I was working on a, a album and I scratched that whole album to write about this experience about like, cause I went through like a depression, like I lost my weight. I, I never felt this. I never felt it before. And it was so crazy. Like it was crazy how I was feeling at 21 and you know, this person would do this to me. So, um, so when when it came time for me to start writing, I started writing songs about the experience, but I couldn't write anything negative. Like all the songs on dopamine are like usually they're positive songs or they're me admitting the things that I did wrong. And I find it to be so interesting. And so when I finished it, I was like playing it for my friends and she was like crying when she was listening to it. Because she were, she knew the situation and she was like, oh, this, this feels like dopamine. And at the time, I'm like, dope. I didn't even know what, what dopamine was. I was like, it's dopamine. And she's like, you should look it up, whatever. And, you know, I've always been a big researcher. So I just delved into like how emotions attach to every blood cell on your blood cell. Yeah. On your, once you experience hormones, it, like, it was, yeah, I just got really deep in it. And then, yeah, I released that album on uh, Valentine's Day, 2008. I remember that. Yeah. Hello, Fresh. What is going on, friends? It is Adam from Bringing It Backwards. And I'm here to tell you about how much I absolutely love HelloFresh. Our family loves HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it is America's number one meal kit. Maybe your New Year's resolution this year is to save some money or eat better or stress less. HelloFresh is here to help you do all three of those things. You can say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price you'll like or at a price I love delivered right to your doorstep. I love the fact that I don't have to go to the grocery store. That is my favorite thing because I show up there and I have no idea 
what I'm buying. I'm, uh, you know, the basic things, but then I get there and I'm like, uh, what am I going to have for dinner? Or what, what, what are we going to make for dinner for the next, you know, four or five nights? And I'm just throwing stuff in the cart and none of it is going to make one full meal. It's just random ingredients to make who knows. And from scratch without uh, some sort of plan or idea, I can really only make like one, maybe two things. If you're like me and you don't want that recipe boredom to strike, HelloFresh has more options than ever before. Dig into their biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. Going to that grocery store also takes quite a bit of time. You can save time with convenient recipes delivered right to your doorstep. I know every Wednesday that HelloFresh box is going to show up at my house and I'm so excited to just open it and see, you know, what am I going to get this week? Like the other night, my family and I had the Sweet Thai Chili Burgers. So good. Little crispy onions on top and sweet potato wedges. And everything I needed was right there in the bag. It was amazing. Sweet potato wedges, the burger, the bun, all of that good stuff. And it only took me 35 minutes to make the entire meal for my family of four. It's so easy, so convenient. And what's really great is you just choose your meals and select your delivery day. Like I said, Wednesdays for me, maybe Mondays for you or Friday. HelloFresh handles the meal planning and shopping. So all you have to do is open your weekly box of pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes to get cooking. And you've probably heard, you know, they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. A lot of people don't, don't have, I never had breakfast until I met my wife. She's like, you don't eat breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. I'm like, ah, now I see. I see it. And HelloFresh agrees. In fact, they're giving all subscribers free breakfast for life. That's right. Life. You'll never have to think about breakfast again. You just know it's coming with the HelloFresh box. That means you'll enjoy a totally free breakfast item with every single HelloFresh delivery. If I'm being honest, that's worth waking up early for. To get free breakfast for life, go to HelloFresh.com slash backwards free and use the code backwards free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash backwards free with the code backwards free, hellofresh.com slash backwards free. Use the code backwards free for free breakfast for life. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. It's an interesting uh, approach because, like you said, I mean, you wrote them all about your your part in the relate, you know, in how it didn't yeah, work out. I've never heard anyone do that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I learned how to take accountability for my wrongdoings really early, you know. I, yeah. I, especially, like, you know, when I think about relationships and I think about what it does to art, you know, I, I always want to be truthful to it, you know, even if I'm unable to be truthful to the person in the moment, you know, because of whatever fears or, you know, I, I'm trying to save the moment or whatever the case may be, like, like once it's done, it's like, yeah, I'm not, I can't hold back now. I already held back in the times I was, wasn't supposed to. You know, so I, I honor art, you know, and I honor music as much as I can. So that was like my first actual exercise in that, you know, since then, I've definitely practiced being, you know, completely, you know, upfront 
you know? Right. Yeah. No, I, I just find the fast, I, I I'm in recovery and that's one of the pieces of like, if you're in the 12 step program, like finding, mm-hmm. you know, you might have a resentment towards somebody, but mm-hmm. then it's like, what, what is like, what caused it? Like, what is your role in it? Which yeah, is like, right. when I, somebody taught me that I was like, Holy shit. Like it just blew my mind. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. so fear was the reason why I was resentful. And you know what I mean? It's like that whole huh? thing. And I, th- I think that's so cool that you, that your album was set up that way. I yeah. Just, yeah. I think that's so awesome. Yeah. Nah, I'm glad you said that, you know, cause you, you know, like love is an addiction. It's a, it's an addiction, you uh-huh. know, and you, and whatever version of how you want to receive it, you'll do whatever you can to portray yourself. Like you're deserving of it, no matter what, you know? And so, like and a lot of times in my life, you know, when I'm thinking about what I want to express, a lot of it comes from that part, because ultimately when you're in a relationship, that's a reflection of you, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you allow, whatever that person allows is a reflection of where y'all at, you know? And so that permeates into your other relationships, your work field, your er- everything, how you think about things, your positivity, your negativity, like all these things are really, you know, uh, really like dependent on like how real you are in a dynamic, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, that's like the main thing, you know, I feel like a lot of times it's missing. It's like two people not being able to just have a conversation like candid, you know, right. Combo. That's really what it like. I'm going to go tell this person how I feel. I'm going to go tell this other person how I feel. <laughs> Make it seem like it wasn't my fault. And then, I'm gonna do it right. too. And then right. all these people will be on my side because I'm right. And it's like, nah, they not. They wasn't, they wasn't there. You're talking to all the wrong people. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Um. That, so yeah, okay, so you put that out, and then you did a. Few, I mean, you've put out a handful of records or yeah. albums, right? And then another two two EPs, and um, you ended up getting signed to Def Jam for that, and they put out Bartholomew, which was, yeah. I think, like a SoundCloud record, right? Or you had it on SoundCloud? Wow. And- yeah, that's how. Yeah, you yeah you know that. Yeah, I, I put up on SoundCloud first. Yeah, I did a bunch of, I had a bunch of records that I did. Um, this company called Lander, kind of. Uh, reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do something with them, like document my process. And I said, for sure, I'm actually making an album right now. So I'll let it do this with you guys. So they helped me, you know, they they funded it and, and rented out a house for me to make the music in. And I built a studio space and in the house and uh, I invited all these people and uh, then I released it. But I had took a lot of meetings before I re- put it up on SoundCloud and everybody told me like, it wasn't, no, nah, it's not, it's too, this is too different or, you know, this is what everyone's going with right now. So all these major labels kind of turned me down, you know, with the record or told me like, we'll just wait to see what happens after you release it. Oh, know? interesting. And I was like, and that was like the same year Scissor Control came out. Um, and then I think Frank came out too. Blonde came out that year too. Uh-huh. And so when Scissor Control came out, all these, and they heard the music and all these people who told me the music was that I didn't, they didn't like the album, called me back to. <laughs> They're like, hey, this other one is hitting and it sounds similar. You know, it's not similar, but it's, it's yeah, kind of in the same vein. Yeah. So they listened to the same music. <laughs> and like, oh man, this is great. I played you this six months ago. It's the same song, you know? And, you know, so then, out of everyone, I had the best relationship with this A&R named Noah Preston, a uh, really cool dude. And he signed Logic and he signed August Alcino and he signed Janae Aiko. And, Damn. Um, really stand-up guy. And I have, you know, I worked with some of those artists that he had signed, you know, from producer and writer side. So I ended up just going with him, you know, and he was at Def Jam. You know, it was just tricky because I didn't, I wasn't really, you know, I was just excited, you know what I'm saying? 
And mm-hmm. I wasn't really paying attention like I should have because, you know, the CEO and the head of marketing ended up leaving, right? Like three months after I finalized my deal. And then that was around the time that Def Jam was trying to sue Frank Ocean for, you know, um, for endless and then leaving yeah. when, uh, blind on Apple, you know, so all this stuff was happening. So um, I was just like looking around, like, I don't know what's going on. And I had been independent for nine years. So. So all the albums that you had put out prior to that one were all, in, I mean, you even put that one out independently. Yeah, really, I did. Right? <laughs> I did this album called Zulu Guru with this label called Ninja Tune out of London. Okay. So that was like the one that I had like, you know, label support, quote unquote. Okay. And but well, with those previous albums and before having the, the Def Jam meeting and, and getting that, were there, there must have been some, you know, success like, could you think of some like, uh, like, like a uh, milestone from pre oh, prior yeah. to that? I mean, I mean, not saying that you weren't, but I was just, I wanted to see if you can give me some. I'm just curious. So many things, yeah. Like, I remember, I mean, I toured. Uh, man, I, I when I released the Beauty Creator album in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, even prior to that, we shot a video for the song Tabloids on Dopamine, and at the time. We didn't know we didn't know what, what we were doing. We just made this music video. This idea I had, I wrote this treatment. I never wrote a treatment. My boy never shot it or edited anything before, but we was doing everything else. So we were like, let's do this too. We made this video and, and it ended up being on the Billboard charts um, on BT Jazz under Eric. Yeah, and we did that all independent. And I just I wrote a letter and sent the beta tape to the head of uh, BET at the time, BTJ. And they ended up playing it, you know, and it was it was running for a long time. It ran for like that whole summer. And then I got a lot of gigs off that, you know, like I started oh, yeah. playing DC, Baltimore, like Boston. Like these people started hitting me up because they see me on this. And I was 22 at the time. So, I, you know, we just operating. We don't really know what's going on. We're just like, yeah, we'll go anywhere. Like, what you mean? What stage? Like, you know, yeah. it's my body. and then when we dropped the Beauty Creator album, um, Giles Peterson played this one of my songs of Morris on BBC. And then I got like an international, you know, hit up like Australia, Japan, Germany, Africa, like all these people from all these different countries. Cause you know, at the time he had so much impact worldwide, like South America. Oh yeah. And, and then, yeah. So I, I ended up touring Europe for the first time in 2010. I played London, Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin. I played in uh, Bratislava in Slovakia. I played in Austria and Vienna. I played Vienna. I played Gent in Belgium. I played all these different places in 2011. And then I got nominated for a Soul Train Award. Uh, no way. I, I didn't see that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. crazy. What was That's huge. I mean, especially in your, I mean, being in jazz on someone, being the jazz Grammy, yeah. um, you know, group and all that stuff. Yeah. So I got nominated for a Soul Train Award, you know, in that time. And then. Um, yeah, and then I went back on the road again and I played Europe as much as I could. I played Poland and I played in Russia and I played in wow. Estonia, Tallinn, <laughs> Estonia. I played wherever country told me they wanted me to come play. I played, you know, um, I played in Tokyo a couple of times. I played, I played in South, South Africa. I played in West Africa. I played, I played Toronto. I, I did like, you know, I did all these things and then. Then, yeah, that's when I did the deal with Ninja Tune for Zulu Guru album. Then we toured again and I, okay. all Europe and, you know, um, parts of Africa. And then um, and then uh, I did an album called Love Apparatus with this producer named Machine Drum. Uh-huh. And uh, I released it 
on Empire. And then I, that's when I tried to start crossing over in States and doing more shows here. So I did like my first American tour for real, like in 2014. Um, yeah. And then that's when I, when I moved to LA, that's when I started meeting all everybody I collaborated with. So like I met the internet, like I known Sid for a while, but we had never met. So I met Sid and Matt from the internet. And then they introduced me to Steve Lacey and I started working with Steve Lacey. And then I met Calvin Harris through Steve Lacey and I worked with Calvin Harris and Charlie Poof and I just yeah. started, you know, Tanache and like all these different artists, you know, um, Masego, I executive produced Masego's last album that just came out and I did all the creative direction. It's just like, when I got here is when all these people who, you know, have been listening to my music for such a long time, you know, had access to me. I was in New York. I didn't know any, I didn't know, you know, uh-huh. me and Miguel have been friends for a really long time via MySpace. You wow. Know, That's you awesome. Know, long, long <laughs> me and him, you know, we used to send messages back and forth and then he finally, you know, released an album and he came to New York and I met him for the first time in 2010. And when I first moved out here, I was with him a lot, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so I just, I just try to, learn this side of the industry because it's so different from new york my experience in new york is so different from what la is like yeah um, i'm still i'm still adjusting you know, <laughs> when it came to like collaborating with all these artists i mean that was you were kind of working with them on their projects and were you always kind of doing your own solo i mean doing your own project at the same time yeah i'm a yeah i'm a hyper creative Okay. <laughs> I make things, you know. It's not just music, you know. I direct. I'm a commercial director. I direct music videos. I write treatments. I design. I do a lot of things. So, Damn. Yeah. yeah so I, I don't never. I don't. You know. I. I think collaboration is a big part of growth, personal growth. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that really helps you learn what you like and what you don't like about how who you are around certain personalities. And how you can strengthen those relationships based on what you learn in those relationships, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, that's, I'm just more so about progress. So, you know, I, I make things to progress. Love that. And you just put out a new song, honestly, I'm a threat. And with that, is that going to be part? Well, I want to hear about that song. And I also want to kind of find out, are you working on like another EP or an album or anything? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have an album coming out next month. Um, I've been working on it for a while, uh, and I'm releasing it independently. That's awesome. Yeah, it took me a while to get out of my deal with Def Jam, and then you know, pandemic hit, and then price. Oh, okay, shit. so was this this started before you started working on the album before the pandemic or during the pandemic? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, okay. Honestly, I'm a threat. I wrote that song in 2015. <laughs> oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Wow. So going into the pan, like, did you just hold it because of all the legalities behind all the other stuff? Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, you know, yeah, I, my art is sacred to me. So I didn't want to, I wasn't trying to, I was trying to make sure I was in a good space so I could talk about the things and, and be happy about what I'm making and celebrate the things I want to give to people and not be bitter or jaded or grumpy while I'm <laughs> trying to share my art. I don't want to feel like that one as an artist, so that's what I was feeling. You know, I was feeling a lot of, I had a lot of energy in me that was necess- wasn't necessarily uh, productive or contributing to my art. So I had to like move it out the way, you know? Okay. Yeah. And when, with the, like the pandemic and all that, where you, how did that affect the, the album? Were you in the midst of recording it or this has kind of just been a, a project that you've been, you know, working on as you do all the other things that you do? No, I, I'm way and I'm super intentional. So I wrote a script. I wrote a short film. Uh, 
a while ago and uh it helped me f- basically figure out what i wanted the songs to be about based on the script that i wrote so my album that's coming up is ultimately a soundtrack to the script that i wrote wow so yeah. there's like a like a concept behind the the whole thing yeah so basically the albums you know the albums about um it's about semi vulnerability okay it's like uh you know i feel like it's easier for women to be completely vulnerable and you know authentically them and uh just based on you know everything you know how they how they were brought up the way and the ways in which women communicate with other women like you know the the fact that they're more in tune with their emotions way earlier than we are like there's all these things that you know they they're supernatural you know they 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 been they start being supernatural from 13 you know 12 right it's their first cycle you know and then they learn themselves and then we don't you know that's not necessarily our thing so <laughs> right i was gonna say i'm still trying to learn that i'm almost yeah. 40. <laughs> yeah. and so i think that you know it's i was trying to think about you know if i knew any men you know and that's facing the public that were completely 100 percent vulnerable you know and i only could think of a couple you know and to me, vulnerable just means you speaking your truth, regardless if people agree with it or disagree with it. You know, it's just what you feel, how you feel, what your views are, whatever. And I feel like a lot of times that we don't get to do that, you know. And it's also because we don't want to show our cards because we don't want to seem weak, too, you know, because mm. the world we live in, you know, as a man, you know, you go out, you you, you hunting for the same lion, somebody like you a lion, it's another lion next to you. Y'all got to go get a man if you're not going to tell him your ankle hurt. Sure. You're not going to say, hey, yo. I know we're going to kill that man if my ankle hurt. Are you going to give me a piece if you kill it before me? Like, that's not, you know, I would love that to be the case. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it is the case, but very rare, you know. It's like, it's like you know, if a shark smell blood, what are you going to do? Yeah, he's going to get it. You know, and so I, 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 it's very, you know, hard for me to be completely vulnerable, like 100% vulnerable no matter how much I want to be based on all these things I'm trying to unlearn, but I do want to be. So I try for it, you know? So this album is about that, you know, it's about me being as vulnerable as I can be right now with what I have and based on what I'm, where I'm coming from, you know? So that's like, so I wrote it, I write a song like no pussy for losers, you know, and I'm talking to myself, you know, cause at one point in time, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm not doing the things I should do to feel I deserve these things. I think I deserve. I need to, just, I need to be accountable for that. You know, I'm a, I'm a right. Honestly, I'm a threat. Yeah. Cause some days y'all try to tell me that I'm not my, my, my concept of my self-worth is not what it's supposed to be. Oh, no, nah, that's not happening. I don't care if y'all think I'm cocky. I don't care if y'all think I'm crazy. I don't care if y'all think I'm arrogant. It don't matter. Like, I know how I feel about myself. So I'm going to write a song like that. I, I wrote a song called Whoa on my album. It's like me saying that I, I was mistreating somebody. Like, you know, I was unconcerned about how they felt, but I still maintain them loving me because I liked feeling love. That's not cool. That's manipulation. So I wrote a record about it because it's happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's what the album's about. Just being a man, being semi-vulnerable. Yeah. And uh, owning your shit. Right. I mean, in the, in the like just being like, yeah, this is what happened. And and, and here here I am being vulnerable 100 percent and telling you what this is the story. Exactly. You know, I made a mistake and I'm, I'm trying my best to learn from these things that I that, I, you know, these these ways I thought I was healthy operating. And now I'm learning that they all these things weren't that that healthy. Yeah. Wow. It That's it's I love to hear that. I, just your story. It just reminds me so much of just 
you know, not even going back to the, you know, the recovering, but it's just like the 12, the 12 steps of just like hearing you say that is like, uh, that's what they try to pound in your head. Yes, it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's true you know, but it makes so much sense. And yeah. then it's like, damn, like it all clicks. Yeah, you got to kill an ego. Like, you know, I, I always say, you know, I'm never killing my ego all the way. Like it's in a room with me, but it's trained. I'm always like, if I go, hey, ego, they're going to they gonna hop up. But I'm not, I'm not outside walking my ego and it's like, boy, like, nah, it's not happening. <laughs> like, yo, I don't got the leash on this motherfucker. He just next to me. And when I stop, he stop. And if I say sit, he sit, you know, but I know he got to be there. Like, we're not moving him all the way completely. I'm not with that. But I, but he understands his position. He knows that he got to follow my lead, not the other way around. So I try my best to maintain that. I love that. That is like. I'm so happy that we just had this conversation. Like, that's something I need to know. Like, remember, like all the time. Like, you know, it's, it goes it goes with like when people, you know, you always have this like crazy version of yourself. You're trying to be, you know, I always tell I always tell this, this reference to people I work with and, and, you know, people around me. I'm like, I'm like, look, like, I want to be this crazy executive artist, you know, fund to create whatever access to whatever artist vision they got. And, you know, and I'm going to work towards that, but I'm not going to make myself feel bad for where I'm at today. So what I say is, as I go, as long as that person I see in my head is in the room with me, as long as they, as long as I go, Oh, there you go. Like the vision is still the vision. Like I can still look at you and go, Oh, all right, cool. We still in here. I know, you know, I got to do this first. But don't go nowhere. Now, if I look in the room and they're not in there or if I'm walking down the street and they wait, I'm like, ah, that's what I never want. So as long as I feel like I got a like I got grips on what I know I got to take care of on a day to day basis, you know, and then I know what my end goal is. I'm like, cool. And we got a relationship. I'm like, bet. Do I know? Do I feel like I'm going to be that person completely? Probably not. But I'm going to get I'm going to get close and I'm going to stay as close to it as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Jesse, for doing this, man. This has been oh, such right a cool conversation. I've, I've really had a great time. Um, and just the, the wisdom you've been spitting has been insane. But uh, I have one more quick question for you, uh, kind of based on that same thing. But if you had any advice, if you're talking to like a, a aspiring artist or something that wanted to try to do something as far as art went or music or producer, mm-hmm. what would you what, what advice would you give them? Man, you know, I think it's really important to know three things. For me, it's like, why? You know, so I think in the business world, they call that like a CTA, like a call to action Mm -hmm. or like a manifesto. You know, it's like, why? 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 You know, because some people... They re they reasoning why will probably tell you if they really mean what they say or they really about what they say they want to be about, you know, because that's something to think about. Not because like, oh man, it's cool and I love it. It's like, nah, that's not enough. You know, that's not enough. So that's the first thing. And and then the second thing is like, you know, I used to uh motivational speak to high school students when I was in New York and I would say, like, all right. I got questions for y'all. What's, what's your favorite? Who your favorite rapper? And somebody be like, oh, Lil Wayne. I'm like, oh, I love Lil Wayne. And I'd be like, who's Lil Wayne's favorite rapper? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm like, no, like, no, you can't name me not one, maybe? No. 
Nah. I'm like, so how Lil Wayne your favorite rapper if you don't know what he like? It's like, I would go, yo, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And they go, pistachio ice cream. I go, okay, name me all the, fl- all the ingredients of pistachio ice cream. And they go. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> nobody. So I'm like, if you really want to do something, you got you to gotta like, you got to study it. You got to do your, you got to get your education up. Some people go in here and I'm like, who your favorite artist? Like Drake. I'm like, all right, come on now. We got, come on. We got, it's, we got Pink Floyd. We got, we got, we got, Coldplay, we got Radiohead, we got Rufus Wainwright, we, we got Regina Spector, we got it's like, come on, yo, we got Feist, we got oh, James Feist, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Oh, we got Peter Tosh, we like, we gotta do, we gotta get our library up. Like, if you really say you want to do what you want to say, you better get the language together. Like, a lot of people come to this and don't got the language and then wonder why the sustainability not in there. It's like, because you didn't go far back enough. You know, like, you got to be a historian to a degree and you got to appreciate all these different people, you know, for the reasons why they were appreciated. You got to find out why, you know? So that's like my second thing. And the third thing is like, It's going to be a certain level of sacrifice that you're not going to be able to explain to people close to you. And you're going to waste more time trying to explain it than just actually just going and doing it. So you should just go do it. Lead an explanation for after.